life is a journey. If you're going to look at retirement, a lot of people relocate and I think they need to think about more than the couple retiring. They need to think about what happens when one of us is on our own. Talking with people about how to have a great retirement. This is the Rock Your Retirement Show. We don't talk about money, but we talk about almost everything else you need to rock your retirement. Now, here's your host, Kathy Klein. Hi, it's Kathy with Rock Your Retirement, and I'm here with Ann Nelson. Now, for those of you who know my bird, he has been a little naughty today, so if you hear him in the background, that's Mr. Grant trying to take over the show. Um, so back to Ann. Ann is an author, experienced entrepreneur, seasoned, self-directed investor, and highly sought-after retirement consultant. Now, after she suddenly found herself to be a widow in 2009, she learned about finances, survival, and ultimate retirement. And one of the reasons why I asked her to come on the show is she's the author of Retire Well, Retire Happy. And on her journey, she's found that in the end, it's not all about money. She and I are kindred spirits because, you know, we talk about that a lot on this show. And she thinks that living a happy and worthwhile life is extremely important. And her book is about how she navigated through the retirement maze and found her way after being left a widow. So, Anne, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kathy. I'm pleased to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here. And you're in a different time zone. So thank you for meeting with me. I appreciate it. We do have listeners in your part of the of the world, which is, I believe, Australia. Is that correct? Yes, I live in Queensland, Australia, which is in the, the north on the tropical coast. Oh, well, we have another host. His name is Henry Shapiro, and he's the host of the retirement uh, Retired Excited Show. And he joined us a couple of months ago. And so his episodes are released on Fridays. And he is in Melbourne, Australia. Ah, okay. Well, let's know anywhere I am. <laughs> right. <laughs> Australia is a big country. It's uh, so yes, but I just thought it was interesting that, you know, now we have a little connection there. So tell me a little bit about how this happened. So were you a, did you find yourself to be a widow suddenly or was it something that was, you know, was there an illness? No, it was sudden. I was out at dinner with my family. Our son just got engaged and we had the two families out to dinner together and my son was just about to leave the state to go and join his a new fiance where she was working, and um, it just happened suddenly at the table at the end of the dinner. Did he have a heart attack, or what happened? I mean, are you okay talking about it now? Yeah, no, he had a heart attack. He had actually had one many years earlier, but it wasn't a sudden thing. It was one of those ones where you have a pain in your arm, in your chest, and then you get the tingles in your arm. And um, about eight years previously. And uh, he ended up in hospital and he, he had three months off work and then he just went back to work and we resumed our life and he was seeing a medical specialist. He used to go for checkups every year, but no, this was totally by surprise. It just happened at the table. There was no warning. Oh, I'm so sorry. And that must have been just so tragic for the whole family. I mean, you're celebrating something amazing and joyful and then this happens. Hmm. 
yes, well, we have no control over over things as your life goes on. But, yes, I suppose one thing, we were all there together, uh, the, the immediate family, and and so your life goes on. You suddenly get thrown into having to plan a funeral within two days, having to talk to police because when something sudden like that happens, you have to fill out all different forms and everything and they had to go and talk to his doctor so we could get clearance that he could be buried. And, yes, for the first seven days your life is in um, a bit of your acting on autopilot, I suppose, because there's certain things that have to be done once there's a death in the family. Well, I'm glad that you were able to get through that, but let's talk about sort of what happened afterwards. Were you already retired when this happened or were you working? Uh, Semi-retired. I had a part-time job and we were actually doing, having a go at house flipping at the time we were renovating a house yes so I had to continue on doing that myself uh, paying other people to help and yeah so I was semi-retired and we were there where we were because we had previously sold our business and our son had we'd sent our son away to university in another part of the state and we'd moved down there just to see if we liked the area or not. We hadn't actually decided where we were going to retire, but we slowed down, I suppose, and we were just having a look around where we might go for our retirement. Did you wind up staying there or did you move? I stayed there for a few years. In the end, my son moved away and our daughter was came down to live there, but she eventually found work somewhere else as well. So I was there on my own without my family, I suppose, and I eventually, after a few years, I decided to go back to where I started from and where my mother was still living, and I came back up to the north of the state, back to Townsville, and where my mother is still alive. My parents were both alive at that stage, but um, my mum's still alive, so I'm here in the area as another support for her. So do you, do, are you a caregiver? No. No? Okay. No. Okay, so so let's go back. So for my listener who maybe has had a recent loss, so once that initial seven days is over, then what? Um, that's a good question. I didn't go back to my part-time job straight away. I just, because part of it was involved speaking on the phone to people. So I gave myself a little bit more time. And I eventually went back and I stuck it out for a while. But, yes, I eventually found out that I needed to deal with things for my future, look to my future more and because my world as I had known it had changed and I had to try and reimagine myself <laughs> and where I was where I was going and I realised I didn't know much about um, as much as I needed to know about finances and looking after looking after my finances. So I started attending courses and workshops. So you, you didn't deal with any of the finances before? I mean, you didn't pay any bills or was it mostly saving? Like what do you mean when you say dealing with finances? Oh, well, 
yes, to clarify, I had paid the bills. So that is where me could handle it a bit better than I imagine some people because I've had many stories of how when you have a loss that, and a lot of times it's the women don't um, have any experiences dealing with the finances, paying the bills. Uh, Fortunately for me, my husband did let me do all of that. So I was in a better position than I imagine uh, a lot of widows end up in. I mean, sometimes it's not until you retire that you end up with a lump sum of money Mm -hmm. and knowing what to do with that is is something that we're not used to and we need to get educated about. Okay, so it was the lump sum that was the issue, not necessarily paying bills or anything like that, right? Yeah, for me it was more the lump sum. But, yes, I know a lot of people do have trouble just trying to move forward. I've come across many people uh, since I've been in widowed that um, really get stuck they just can't move on because they they just can't see themselves without their partner mm-hmm. and it's unrealistic because in the end we will probably end up on our own sooner or later that's true so so would you say that if you had a scale let's say you have a hundred percent of things you had to deal with so you've got a, a box of 100% of stuff. How much of that box would you say was dealing with this lump sum? How much was dealing with your grief? How much was dealing with the fact that you now you're retired? Like there must have been a whole lot going on all at once, right? Yeah. Yes. Well, initially, after you deal with the burial, because that's the first thing you have to deal with. And then after that, then it is sorting out the finances in our country. If you own things jointly, then things automatically go to the other person. However, if if the person that has passed away have things in their own name, then that has to go through an estate process which involves your will and then depending on where the money is so like if it's tied up in what we call in Australia superannuation so that's your retirement savings so I imagine in America that's like your 401k and all that sort of um, vehicles that Mm -hmm. are, are used for retirement savings when you're dealing with them they tend to have their own set of rules and a lot of times a normal will doesn't cover that and they have their own people that just can decide independent of your of the will where that money is to go it's very it's the same way here it's called a beneficiary yes so and they want to know who the children of the marriage are and they and if there are any other children outside of the marriage and if there are any other dependents that may be able to make a claim and if there are any, yes, if there are any 
living dependents and they actually contact them directly to find out if they think they have a claim on any of the the money. Oh, so the person who worked doesn't really have a say in where the pension or the retirement money goes. It's it's a court process. It's not actually a court process, but they have a trustee that mm-hmm. work for them that that um, are in control of these funds, these um, savings, this retirement money, and it's up to them, up to the trustee to decide if they're going to pay the money to the estate for the will then to handle it or whether they or whether if some claimant um, would get can, it okay. would get it so my children cooperated they I told them about it so they they were both adult children and if they're adult children and they're independent so they're only they're, so they are working then they can't necessarily make a claim uh, to the trustee. So then it would go to the spouse. Is that correct? Well, then it would be handled by the will or, yes, paid to the spouse, yes. Okay. How long does that process take, Anne? Uh, it took about, I suppose, three months, so probably not so long because it was fairly simple and there was no claimants. If there was a claimant, it could take a lot longer. <laughs> it could take one year. It could take two years oh, wow. to sort it if there was any problems, but luckily in my case there wasn't, but still it's um, processes you have to deal with. I end up doing it myself as well. I had to do a, um, I did have to do a, a process through the court system and I actually found online help and I did it myself after being quoted an, an exorbitant amount that I, from my solicitor, from a solicitor. So I, um, I did it myself and okay. for a lot cheaper. Mm. Well, you're a very, um, what's the word? You you figure out how to do things. So that's good. Good good for you. <laughs> so so the first thing that you had to deal with the funeral, and the second thing is to sort out the finances because of the death, not because of the retirement. And mm. then what was the next thing you had to do? Uh, go back to work. I was only working part-time. I went back to work for a while. And then I had to finish the the house we were renovating. That must have been crazy to deal with a (laughs) flip situation in the middle of all this. So what, I mean, I can't imagine going back to work. It seems like that would be a full-time job. Yes, I only lasted about less than a year and then I stopped working altogether. But um, it, it, it does help you, I suppose, not having to think about things, I suppose. You, when you turn up for work, you, you're in a different mindset. You know, you have to be present for the for the job. So I suppose it helps get you out of the house. That's true. Were you able to grieve during any of this period of time or was it all go, 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 go? Uh, it was probably go, go, go. I find grief interesting in that I was handling things quite well and it but we had only lived where we lived for two years. We had moved down to where my son had been going to university and uh, that wasn't our home. And it wasn't until I returned to where we had come from, to my hometown, and I found that as I went around and 
saw the places that where we used to have our own business and where we used to live that I could become quite emotional suddenly and I realised that I was going through a grieving process because of the familiar surroundings. How long were you going through that, that emotional, was it just while you were there or? or? Well, I live here, I live, sorry. Oh, you live there now, that's right. So, so what happened? How long did it take you to go through that? grieving process I suppose a couple of years but it's um and I've just learned that it's just something that you shouldn't control and that you should allow yourself to grieve and you have no control over it it just takes time some things you just don't know when it's going to happen what will trigger a memory something that you used to do someplace you used to go someplace you used to live I think you just need to allow yourself the time to to grieve and if it comes on you suddenly well you know just allow yourself the time at at that at that time so that this happened in 2009 and at this taping it's been a long time it's 2017 now somebody might be hearing this in 2020 but let's just talk about from then to now do you find yourself still grieving sometimes yes i do at times Yes, you know, it's it's never, you never, well, you never forget. You've got your lovely memories. When you recognise what it is, it's just, a, just it's just a process and um, I don't think you should beat yourself up about it. You should just allow yourself the time to do it and it's more, you know, you've got your memories, haven't you, and they'll never go away. That's true. That's true. Okay, so we've talked about the past. Now let's talk about the present. So you're obviously very active in writing and podcasting and doing a lot of things that a lot of people don't even know about. I mean, there's still people out there that don't know what a podcast is. So how did you get involved in that? Uh, I was. It was just something that was suggested to me. I had... Um... I had started doing little interviews with people, retirement people, how they were enjoying their retirement, and it was it was just suggested to me that it was something that I could could do as a, as an extension of writing my book. So I did, <laughs> and it's been fascinating. I'm learning so much. <laughs> now, for the listener, tell us about your book. What what do you talk about in the book? Well, in the beginning, it's about the money. So. When we look at retirement, a lot of people initially start out, it's about, it is about the money. So that's the beginning of my book. And I talk to some experts in their fields on different types of investing. However, once you get to this situation where you're looking at retirement, I've spoken to other people that have retired and they think it's just going to be great not having to work. But I find Unless you've been involved in some outside activities like volunteering or other ways to occupy your time, have a hobby, some people that are busy executives, they've had high-profile jobs, professional people. It's amazing the people that struggle. Once they have retired, they have their 
first three months and they think it's great not having to go to work, but they really do struggle with what they're going to, to do with themselves. So you are now somebody that people approach to help with that. You're a retirement consultant. That's correct, right? Yes. I don't have any trouble myself being occupied. <laughs> I I actually was involved in the Lions Club, Lions International, which is a, a volunteer organization. They're celebrating 100 years this year of being a an organization in actually having a big party in Chicago very shortly. Are you going? No, no, I'm <laughs> it's not a long, going. it's a long ways for sure. They do glasses for people, right? Ah, uh, that's what, one of their projects. Yes, they have many, many projects. Yes, they do a lot of medical uh, research. They support a lot of medical research. Yeah, and so you're a member of the Lions. Yes, that's one of the things I do. But when I looked at going into podcasting and just promoting the book and just talking to people, I joined Toastmasters as well. And I found that has been very helpful with communication skills and, and also leadership as well. And I've been in Toastmasters for two and a half years now and it's, it's a wonderful organisation to be involved in as well. That's great. Now, for the listener who doesn't know what Toastmasters is, can you give us a little synopsis of what they do? Ah, thank you. It's a, a club. You join a, a branch and they meet at different times, so you need to find one that suits your time schedule, I suppose. I joined a dinner club, and so when we have a meeting, we actually have dinner as well as part of the meeting. So at Toastmasters, our particular club, we run a business meeting. So at the beginning of the meeting, it's it's all about teaching you how to be on an executive and how to move motions and how to have a proper process to a meeting, like you have your your chairman, your secretary and all those reports get passed. Then we go into a section where we have impromptu speaking, so it allows you to learn how to speak on your feet so you never know when you might be called upon to speak at an occasion perhaps it's at a wedding at a funeral at a party a co-worker leaving and it gives you a structure how to how to speak some people are very shy about standing up in in front and it gives you a confidence because it teaches you a structure around how to present a topic and how to speak and then we go into prepared speeches so we have usually three people give a prepared speech of usually five to seven minutes and we give feedback to the speakers so there's another opportunity to speak by giving an evaluation of, of the speaker and it's in a nice friendly atmosphere and it's um they call it it's a nice place to fail because we give positive reinforcement and then we give positive points for improvement. Yeah, that's really good. You know, I was a member of Toast Mixers when I was in college. It was, you know, like a mini Toastmasters. And I, it, it was really helpful, I think. But, you know, they say that speaking in front of people is one of the scariest thing that somebody can do. So <laughs> what made you think to join Toastmasters was now was this before or after the podcast? I know you said it, but it was before I um I wrote my book 
And then afterwards, I started being asked to speak and I thought, oh, that'll be easy. But it's amazing. You get up there and depending on how long you get to speak, so it could be five minutes, it could be 10 minutes, and I realised I didn't have the skills around how to structure a speech. And, uh, no, actually my sister suggested she knew someone in Toastmasters and I said, I've really got to learn how to speak. And she said, well, why don't you go to Toastmasters? And it's been great because you learn that you need a beginning, you need a conclusion, and then depending on how long you've got to speak, how many points you can put in there to to talk about or to explain what you're trying to talk about. So they say you tell them what you're going to talk about, you tell them what you're talking about, and then you've got to tell them what you told them sort of thing. (laughs) I love it. That's awesome. So would you recommend that other retired people join Toastmasters even if they're not, you know, going to promote a book or do something like what you did? Yes, I do. It will help in more ways than you think. It teaches you other things as well. It teaches you about timing and it teaches you to listen. And that's, I find a lot of people really aren't listening. They're sort of, they're waiting. I've heard it before. I don't know if you've heard of waiting before, but when someone speaks and they're telling a story, a lot of people don't really listen. They're, they're, they're thinking about, oh, I know something. And they're trying to wait and jump in and and tell them their story of how they knew someone the same thing happened to. But if you truly listen to someone and honor, try to honour what they're saying, then you wait and then you ask them more questions or you give them feedback to try and show that you understood what they were saying. And I think it's been terrific. But it also is helpful with communication skills. So it will give you that opportunity or the, the confidence that if you get ever asked to to give a talk or to help out on a committee, if you don't have if you never say anything, they treat you that you have nothing to say. So if you're involved in a committee or any organization and if you'd ever speak up well, you're just considered as having nothing to say and you may not be treated as a valuable member of your community. So you can use it in anywhere in your community, whether it's through your volunteering organisations or through your church. If you want to become a more valuable member of your community, well, you learn need to learn to speak up. And would you say it also gives you maybe confidence? Yes, definitely. Awesome. Definitely. Okay, great. So you um, sort of came in to, you joined the Lions, you joined Toastmasters. Was there anything else that you did after you, you know, after your husband died and you retired that that brought you to where you are today? I'm also in a couple of other organizations that are for retired people. They're probably unique to Australia. I'm in the Australian Independent Retirees Association and I'm also in another group called National Seniors and it's just an opportunity to meet up with other people in similar circumstances as yourself. But it's getting to the point uh, that you sometimes you could be in too many things, I suppose. (laughs) Uh, Other things I did was to take courses and learn about investing. So I've been um, learned about quite a few different types of investing and I think it's all about finding something that you can do. I, I've tried a lot of different things. I went 
I learn about options, but um, I'm not doing that anymore. I've decided that getting up in the middle of the night to try and trade options on the American Stock Exchange is not for me. And it's all about finding what suits you and knowing what your risk profile is as well. Um, That's very important. When you go along to a financial advisor, they usually ask you a lot of questions and they're just trying to find out what type of risk you're prepared to take and your circumstances and to try and steer you in the direction of investment opportunities that suit your risk profile. Thank you for that. Do you work with a financial advisor when you're making these trades or is this something that you, are you a financial advisor? No, I'm not. So I have to be careful about that. I can't give financial advice. Uh, I have worked with financial advisors in the past, but I'm um, now a self-directed investor. So any decisions I make, I make on my own. Some people have been disenchanted uh, with some financial advisors in the past and the industry is continually going through uh, regulations and, yes, sometimes financial advisors in the past, I'm not saying they're doing it now, has steered you in the direction of something that will give them the greatest commission and sometimes you find that they're getting you to change your investments just for the sake of having change and they also get financially rewarded for you turning over investments more often. And there's, there is a big push. There seems to be more and more people that are self-directed. You know, that it is a risk because you really do need to invest in your education if you think about going down that track. So speaking about education, you have a, a website and it's called Retire Well, Retire Happy. Is that correct? Same as your, as your book? That's a good question. No. Oh, no. Okay. What is the website? <laughs> it's it's just annnelson.com.au and on there you will find out about my book and the podcast and and my blog. Okay, so if somebody goes to Ann Nelson, say it again, say the whole website, annnelson.com.au, is that correct? Yes, it's Ann with no E as well. Okay. So annnelson.com.au and on there, on the website, you will see about my book and the podcast show, which is called Retire Well, Retire Happy. Okay, so you have the website. Now, if somebody goes to your website, what kind of information are they going to get there? Are they going to get financial information? Are they going to get information on staying happy? What 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 should they expect? Uh, and the, mostly I've been talking to people about different types of investing but I've also talked to people about uh, where they live because that's a a big decision and it's a financial decision as well different places they've chosen to go to live so basically things that cost money but yeah not necessarily just about investing. I think that's what I saw you talking about were the non I mean obviously I, I did see the investing things that you talk about, but it was the non-investing things that I was also very interested in. So I do appreciate the fact that you're telling us your story because, <laughs> um, you know, I know that it might be difficult to relive it. And, uh, you know, my listeners can be going through some of the same things that you went through. These things are international, you know, when grief is is not 
located in one country or one state. We all go through similar things when when somebody passes away or when we retire. I mean, in your case, it all happened at once, but some people go through grief over losing, you know, over not having their job anymore. And you touched on that a little. So I appreciate the the tips that you've given, you know, join something like Lions, volunteer. Toastmasters is good for not just learning how to speak, but other things as well. And then the retirement associations that you talked about, we have some retirement associations here in the U.S. as well. And then, of course, taking courses and learning about things that you need to learn about, such as investing, and people can do that on your website, right, right, Anne? They can learn about different types of investing, that's that's for sure, yes. Of course, there's also travel, but um, I, I, I do talk to people about travel sometimes because that's the biggest thing that retirees seem to get up to <laughs> is travel. <laughs> Those are some of the fun reasons to retire is so that you can travel. So we're coming up on the end of our time, Anne. Is there anything that you want to let the listener know before we say goodbye? Yeah, life is a journey. If you're going to look at retirement, a lot of people relocate and I think they need to think about more than the couple retiring. They need to think about what happens when one of us is on our own. There's lots of things you can do to prepare for the other person and uh, to make the transition a bit smoother. My mum had to relocate in her 80s and she found it a bit hard after Dad passed away. So there are things you can do to prepare yourself for when you're on your own. So prepare so you don't have to relocate when you're in your 80s or at least have a better transition. That's right. Well, thank you, Anne. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And um, for the listener... We'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Thanks for listening to the Rock Your Retirement show. If you are rocking your retirement or know someone who would make a great guest on our show, please send us an email at podcast at rockyourretirement.com. 